It was early Sunday morning on May 26, 2013. The JASCON 4, a tugboat contracted by Chevron Corporation, was out at sea at the Atlantic Ocean, approximately 20 miles off the coast of Nigeria. The waters were rough, and as dawn had not broke yet, it was still dark. Carrying a crew of 12, most of the workers were still in their locked bunks. Locking down the bunk rooms was a safety precaution against frequent piracy in the area. The tug was conducting a static tow. This is the process of stabilizing an oil tanker at a platform during the transfer of oil for transportation back to shore for processing. The tanker needs to be kept in the same position to ensure it does not collide with the onloading platform or ship. Two other tugs were working on the same tanker along with the JASCON 4. This particular tug was owned and operated by West African Ventures, a Nigerian company headquartered in Lagos, Nigeria. They provide offshore engineering, procurement, fabrication, installation, accommodation, and marine charter services to the oil and gas industry. It is standard industry practice for energy companies to contract out a wide variety of tasks. West African Ventures has been doing this type of work since 1977 and was increasingly proficient in handling more and more complex work in the oil industry. Due to heavy ocean swells, or perhaps a rogue wave, the JASCON 4 would not see the sunrise. Without any warning, at around 4.30 a.m., the tug reeled over and capsized. It quickly filled with water and sank to the bottom of the sea. The JASCON 4 would come to rest upside down, approximately 100 feet below the surface. Rescue operations quickly commenced, with search parties from West African Ventures and Chevron participating. Boats and helicopters scoured the region. Rescue efforts were hampered by the rough conditions and had to be suspended briefly out of safety concerns for the rescuers. 17 hours away, another vessel, the Luwak Toucan, was working on a pipeline project with a team of specialty saturation divers from DCN Diving. Initially chartered by West African Ventures, a quick agreement between the two companies ensured the ship and her crew was quickly diverted to assist at the site of the accident. The skills of the saturation divers would be valuable in diving at the great depth of the wreck, searching for survivors. Though they were currently working at a depth of 70 meters, the travel time would allow the divers to adjust to 30-meter work. After the first fruitless days of searching, there were no signs of the 12 missing men. Upon the arrival and deployment of the Luwak Toucan, an initial survey of the wrecked tug determined that it was unstable, and the risk was high for deep-water divers entering the wreck, which would increase the time required to safely search within the wreckage. At the end of two days, hope for finding survivors faded, and the operation transitioned to focus on the recovery of the bodies by the saturation divers from DCN. They would need to systematically clear each room of the wreck, looking for remains. Divers would be sent down to search the wreckage with cameras mounted on their masks, while a team on the ship would review monitors displaying the divers' view. The grisly work commenced, and they soon found the first four victims of the wreck. The water was dark and very murky. Visibility was only a few feet. As they worked their way down a corridor, an arm appeared presumably another corpse.
The project manager on board relayed to the diver he had seen it as well, and the diver reached out to secure the body. Suddenly, the hand forcibly grabbed the diver, shocking him and causing him to emit an involuntary shout of fear and shock. The shipside viewers jumped back as well at the sudden, determined movement. Incredibly, they had found a survivor 60 hours after the Jascon force sunk. The extraordinary story of Harrison O'Kenna can only be described by him as divine intervention. Just before 4.30 a.m. on Sunday morning, the ship's cook awoke early as usual and headed from his bunk to the head or ship's toilet in just his boxers. While in the bathroom, the tug's motion became more violent and O'Kenna was thrown from one side of the small bathroom to the other and the light went dark. Though dazed from being tossed around the small room, he realized the tug had capsized. He quickly reached for the door handle and forced open the door to the outside. Water was flowing everywhere and he could see three of his crewmates in the area. Before he could call out, a flood of water rushed through the hallway, washing away his crewmates. As Okenna was pushed by the torrential stream of water, he was able to make a frantic grab and latched onto the doorframe of another bathroom and was thrown in, with the door closing shut. Extreme darkness and cold water surrounded Okenna, but he found an air pocket at the top of the lavatory, only about four feet square, now upside down. He felt an impact, and the structure shuddered around him. He realized the tug had struck the bottom of the ocean. The Jascon 4 had not only capsized, but it quickly sank with all its crew. It lay at rest on the bottom of the sea at a depth of around 100 feet. It was cold, and he stood on the sink to keep his head above the water. Okena waited for the water to rise and completely fill up the air pocket. It was pitch dark and Okenna could not see anything. He felt around and surmised he was in a ship officer's bathroom with another door leading to the officer's bunk room. Otherwise, he stood in the darkness, waiting for the room to completely fill. He prayed to God to deliver him home. Hunger began to gnaw at him, but mostly he was extremely thirsty, with the salt water all around taunting him with eventual death without respite from the thirst. Without a gauge for time, Okenna lost track, not fully knowing the hours passing by. The cold water prodded him to explore out beyond the small room he was trapped in. He realized if he opened the door, water could rush in and drown him, but he was hopeful the air pocket continued into the next room. He opened the door and was greeted not by a flood of seawater, but with a continuation of the air pocket. He pushed his way through the water in the darkness and eventually came across two mattresses, which he was able to stack together and sit on them, pulling most of his body out of the cold water. He also found a life vest and a bottle of Coca-Cola. This would be his only sustenance throughout his ordeal. He could tell the water was slowly rising in the small cabin. Okenna detected a horrible scent. He could hear large fish outside of the room every now and again. They would thrash around as if fighting over a large piece of food. He supposed they were sharks or barracuda, feeding on the remains of his crewmates. He knew the ghastly smell was the remains of his crewmates and was deeply disturbed by the feeding frenzy. He found a board in the room, ready to drive away anything that may want to investigate his movements in the cramped quarters. 
Okena was hungry, very cold, and tired from his ordeal. Being immersed in the salt water for such a long period caused skin irritation. Along with the commotion from the aquatic life came the realization his situation was dire. Fear started rising within him, wondering about his wife, mother, and the rest of his family. He took comfort in reciting verses from Psalms, especially Psalms 105, verses 1 and 2. Give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him. Sing praise to him. Tell of all his wonderful acts. The passing time was blurry. It was getting colder and colder. At one point, he thought he heard the sound of an anchor dropping, and then thought he was listening to divers searching the wreck. Did he actually hear these things, or was his mind playing tricks on him? He searched through the advancing water levels and was able to find a hammer. He stripped the walls as best he could to access the heavy metal framework of the ship. Okena used the hammer to strike against the metal walls, but the sounds receded, and the area was silent again. Fear and despair returned, and he continued his prayers to God. Psalms 75.1 We thank you, O God. We give thanks because you are near. People everywhere tell of your wonderful deeds. Sometime later, Okena thought he heard the divers returning. Now he was sure he could see the lights from their dive lights, and he jumped from his mattresses back into the cold water. He decided to gamble his life to try swimming towards the divers and try to get their attention while still being close to his air pocket. He ducked underwater and made his way through the debris toward the light. He saw a diver in front of him and reached out. The diver moved toward Okena, and Okena was able to grab the diver, and the diver quickly pulled back, clearly shocked by Okena's lively appearance. Okena heard the divers transmit excitedly back to the surface. There is a survivor. He is alive. On board the Luwak Toucan, they had seen a hand in the murky waters. Anyone viewing the monitors involuntarily jumped back when the hand clasped the divers. There was complete disbelief and then joy that a survivor was found. Efforts quickly turned to rescue and the procedures to bring Okena to the surface slowly to avoid decompression sickness, which would kill him at the depth and the length of time he was submerged in the wreck. While his ordeal was not over, the remaining portion of Okena's rescue was left to the divers and command unit on the surface. Having been underwater for approximately 60 hours, Okena had been breathing air at a depth of 100 feet. His body was using the oxygen in the air, but nitrogen is absorbed into the body and stays there for a more extended period. If he was to surface quickly, the decreasing pressure would allow the nitrogen in his body to expand, forming bubbles in his tissue and blood. Improper decompression would lead to muscle and joint pain, dizziness, headaches, cramps, numbness, nausea, paralysis, and death. The divers first used hot water to try and warm him up. They then outfitted Okena with a diving helmet and a harness. He was brought up to the surface extremely slowly, allowing for the nitrogen to escape his body. Luckily, the Luwak Toucan had decompression chamber on board, and its crew specialized in deep saturation diving. Once he was removed from the wreck, he was quickly transferred to the decompression chamber 
to allow for the nitrogen to exit his body safely. Through fatigue and trauma, Okena passed out during his ascent, but the divers attended to him and made sure he reached the surface safely. When Okena reached the surface, he saw the night stars and thought he had been in the wreck for 12 hours. He was astonished to learn he was trapped for nearly three days underwater. Okena had to stay in the chamber for another 60 hours. Along with symptoms of decompression sickness, Okena suffered from parts of his skin peeling away from being submerged in salt water for so long. He could not help but having salt water in his mouth, causing irritation all over, including to his tongue. Okena credits God with providing a miracle that the rescue divers were able to find and rescue him. Afterward, it was calculated that given the size of the air pocket, Okena would have run out of oxygen within an hour or two. Okena's foresight and cleverness to build a makeshift platform enabled most of his body to remain out of the water It prevented him from succumbing to hypothermia. Harrison Okena was able to escape death in the most unlikely of circumstances. All 11 of his crewmates had perished, and the search for the final victim was eventually called off, ultimately claimed by the sea. Trapped 100 feet underwater in a wrecked tug, his determination and will to survive beat all odds against him.